It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios. How's it going, Lance? It's going very, very well. How are you? I'm doing well, too. The majority of this episode, Lance, is a really interesting conversation with an old friend of ours, Josh Leonard, who accompanied us on our trip to Quebec with James Renner back in 2013 as part of this documentary that we've been working on. We kept talking about when the right time was to have Josh on the show because he was such a central part of the, uh, you know, our introduction to uh, Moore's case and to, you know, jumping down the rabbit hole. He was essentially there in that in that initial jump. When we went to Canada with James Renner, we called up Josh and said, grab the camera, grab your passport. We have this adventure that you'd uh, you'd definitely want to be a part of. Yeah, he's like, what passport? Um, but, <laughs> exactly. But we'll get into it uh, in a little bit. But before we do, um, because that that content, that, that conversation is not really about information in Maura's case. It's more about the documentary, some inside stories, some behind-the-scenes uh, stories about what that trip was like. But it's also about obsession in general uh, in regards to this case. Exactly. We went down some really interesting paths with it when we talked about how you define obsession. In what circumstance do you say, I am obsessed? And no, I'm not obsessed. I'm just thoroughly doing my job. And sort of how you make you reason with yourself why you're doing something that you probably wouldn't do in normal circumstances. So it it got a little uh, got a little deep on occasion, and it's we're 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 playing this episode. And we did this interview not because there isn't new information out there on the case. There we are constantly working on new information and and sifting through and making plans. We did this because we do have the screening coming up, and we kept saying, "When are we going to have Josh on?" Because again, he was an integral part of our trip to Canada, and the timing is just perfect. And also the timing with Josh himself; he works all the time. So we took advantage of when we could have him. Right. So uh, you mentioned the screening. We do have a screening of this Quebec search section of our documentary called Finding Maura Murray. It is coming to the Rockwell Theater in Somerville, Massachusetts on Sunday, June 24th at 6 p.m. Now, where can we get tickets for that? And I heard there's a portion of the proceeds going to the Find Mora Fund. Yes. Uh, so you can get tickets on either of our sites, moramurraydoc.com or crawlspacepodcast.com. And yes, $5 from each ticket sale is going to the GoFundMe account to help raise funds to put back into the search for Mora. And the screening is sponsored by PI Magazine. Nicole and Jim over there at PI Magazine have offered a code. I believe it's going to be MMM, but we'll have more details for that when we we give links. But there'll be code for anybody who wants to sign up for an annual subscription. It'll be at a discounted rate of $29.95 down from $39.95. And they will also offer $5 of that to go into the uh, the account, the GoFundMe account. Now, what's Pi Magazine? Pi Magazine. Uh, it's actually PI. stands for Private Investigator Magazine. Oh. And it is the it is the the number one resource, print resource, and online resource for private investigators out there. So okay. it's a trade magazine for private investigators. So if you're a PI out there, you will have known what that meant, not PI. And uh, you might already subscribe to it, but if you don't, 
please do now. It's uh, quite a resource for you. And they will be there during the show, and they will have copies to give out. So who knows? Maybe if you are an aspiring private investigator, you can check out this magazine, and that will put you over the top. Great. So now before we get into the conversation, the interview with our director of photography, Josh Leonard, we just wanted to mention a couple of uh, things that have come up recently. A couple emails. I know the last episode we did was about emails. And uh, before we get into Brock's email, I just want to mention the reply from Lee's email, which was about swearing and about how we uh, we say the F word and uh Take the Lord's name in vain. We got a lot of comments saying, please do not stop that. So uh, so it puts us right back in the realm where we were originally. Right. I'm just going to, whatever my gut is going with, I'm going to go with. Yeah, I mean, I think I think ultimately that the swears in the CrimeCon episodes were probably more because it was a live show and it's a little less uh, editable when it's live. So anyway. But sometimes when you're talking about this subject matter, you know, a goddamn slips out. Because sometimes you just don't know how to articulate the unbelievable circumstances and situation you're talking about. Okay, well, speaking of, let's uh, let's mention this this email from a really thoughtful listener named Brock. Sends us a very bullet-pointed email, which I know you love, Lance. I love bullet points, and I love, um, he didn't do it, but color coding works for me, too. Yeah. Uh, bullet points, bold, underlined, and very well organized. And we didn't mention it last time. Apologies to, to Brock. We didn't mention it last time because uh, we, we missed it. It went to our personals. Right. So... Yeah, and so he he asks a few questions in this uh, email. He says he has wondered sometimes were all the the neighbors' eyes truly glued to their to the car through the window, or were there periodically spots um, where they were not uh, looking out their window? And we don't have any insight as he asks, but unless there's information that these people have that we don't know. The answer has to be that they were looking away at certain times. Also, it, we wanted to talk about uh, someone named uh, Jim Cross. Yep. James Cross. And this theory had always sort of been on the peripheral of our thinking, but it was Mr. Cross who came up with and, and really articulated it well that that Mora might have just snuck back into the woods a little bit. Or maybe, as you think about it more, maybe she went behind the... Uh, weathered barn or maybe she went down old peter's road and and waited two or three hours and we got then it, it shows that tunnel vision that we have when uh when looking into it when we've been doing this for so long and it took that it, it took so long just to open up at least my head my mind about that possibility we just got so hyper focused on this like four minutes or seven minutes and it really could be an hour and four minutes. Yeah, you're saying Mora could have just jogged up Old Peter's Road and kind of waited out the cops. I mean, I think we we discounted because we've heard they've searched. We you know we know they searched around the barn. There were no footsteps um, in the in the snow. So that's kind of why where I think we get to where we got. But it is true, and we we have said this from the beginning. It is possible that Mora jogged up Old Peter's Road, and and has has been there ever since. Um, but throughout all the searches that have been done, she has not been found still. So she that may have happened, and she still may have left, or she might might still be there, and still no one's found her. I, I don't know. But it's these emails like like Brock's and like Jim that'll keep the juices flowing. Right. It's a good thing. And speaking of James, so James started a blog too, which we found uh, pretty interesting because he kind of took the viewpoint of someone who is just learned about this case and that's different from most of the people who are listening right now they're people who have followed this case for years and they might already have some um, confirmation bias going on potentially or some ideas in their head who knows but this is someone who looked at the case uh, a few months ago and kind of dug all the way in, listened to the uh, the whole podcast, watched the auction show, and even read Red Renner's book and he's come out saying he thinks Rick is guilty Rick Force here. That's right. Right. James Cross is a really good example of that. He's a really good example of the type of person that gets involved in this, gets swept up in it. And just recently, he sort of announced his retirement to it as well. And he said that it's been five months of nonstop amateur investigation into it. And that is the typical sort of shelf life of the type of person that approaches this alone. Yeah. So if, if you dive in like that, it's real hard to, to stay in. Right. 
I would say to James Cross, don't take don't take a hundred percent you know of yourself out of it. Just learn how to do it on the weekends. Learn how to you know make notes and then go live your life normally, <laughs> for lack of a better word, outside of that. But don't see it as something that's a all in or all out situation because you do have really good ideas and all of that all of that uh, theorizing and you know emailing to us and messaging us sparks something. It does shake stuff up still keeps it less stale i just want to say one quick thing to brock he lives in louisiana and he has a uh, a little note here about meeting us well CrimeCon is in new orleans uh next year so go on their website book your tickets and maybe we'll uh, have some harry's razors for you june 2019 okay so thank you very much everybody for listening we hope you enjoy this conversation with josh and please understand that it's not about new information it's more about the obsession into more murray's disappearance and uh, so I think you'll enjoy it and come out to the Rockwell on June 24th, 2018. Thank you very much. Here we are with our director of photography from Finding Maura Murray. We have the one and only. The one and only Joshua F. Leonard. What's up, Josh? What's up, guys? How do you like being here in uh, Wormtown in our in our crawlspace studios in the in the black boxes we have never called it? This is <laughs> this is awesome. I love your studio, and I live in Worcester, so Wormtown is uh, my home. So it's I'm psyched that you guys uh, record out of here. This is awesome. Well, thanks. Yeah, and uh, we're psyched that you have been ha- have been working on this movie with us for for as long as we've been doing it, which is almost four years now. Right. Um, and we're really psyched about this upcoming screening, June twenty fourth, and you're going to be there. Yes. And uh, we're going to do a little Q and A after the screening at the Rockwell. So right. if you if you didn't know that this screening was happening, it's happening in Somerville, Massachusetts, June twenty fourth, six p.m. And uh, us three are going to be there. We're going to play about an hour and 20-minute cut of the Quebec search section of Finding Maura Murray. And then we're going to talk about it afterwards. And I just want to give um, the shout-out to PI Magazine, who are our very generous sponsors for this show. Uh, they operate PI Magazine, which is a resource for private investigators. And they will have copies of the magazine there. Uh, tickets uh, are $15 for the show. $5 of that 15 goes to the GoFundMe, the Find Mora GoFundMe account. And the people from PI Magazine have generously put up the offer to uh, at, at, at a discount. They will also donate $5 from the annual subscription. So their usual subscription is thirty nine ninety nine. They are going to offer a discount of twenty nine ninety nine for people who use the promo code and five dollars of that will go towards the the fund as well. So that fund, as we've said before, it goes to uh ground penetrating radar, billboards, organizing searches with lodging and um possibly a reward. There's just there's a lot of use that ten grand or or more can have in right. this case. But just wanted to get all of that bookkeeping out of the way. Yeah, and we wanted to dive into this the story of what we're screening and really just your experience so far in, in what the heck this project has been. Like, what's yeah. it been from your perspective? <clears throat> well, it's interesting because um, I wasn't that familiar with it going into uh, our trip to Canada. I Lance had talked to me about it. Um, and sort of told me about all the weird elements and the things circling the case. And, um, surely not all the weird elements. Well, no, I guess everything, or you got to keep some in your back pocket, (laughs) right? (laughs) Well, so many have been uncovered since, of course, of course, but, but, um, the things that he was aware of at the time, which Mm -hmm. was what? 2013 yes december of 2013 right so i remember just getting like in a nutshell version of it and i was like wow that's that's very bizarre you know it's it's a very strange case and of course he was very interested in it and then and then one day i got a call and it was like hey we're going to canada do you have a passport do you want to shoot and i'm like yeah i want to shoot i don't think i have a passport so 
we were going in like a couple weeks. And so I had to rush and get a passport and all this stuff, not exactly knowing what we were going to try to do. Um, just sort of getting like bits and pieces of it. And, and, and I was like, you know, how much, how much money do I need, do I need to bring? And Lance is like, I don't know. I'm like, how long are we going to be there? And he's like, uh, probably the weekend, but I don't know. And I was like, where are we going? And he goes, Canada. <laughs> Small place. Small, yeah. I mean, right. it's, a, it's a little we're quaint going. island. So yeah. <laughs> I, was just, I was just like, okay, all right, we're, we're doing this. We're, we're going. And, of course, you mentioned James Renner, but I wasn't that familiar with him. You know, I mean, it was just a name to me at that point. Um, I knew, uh, I think you told me about the blog that he had at the time. and Why the leap of faith then? Well, I just want to give a little backstory. That actually is a good question. Why the leap of faith? Oh, thanks. Mm. I, I finally asked a good question. I know. It's <laughs> 79 <laughs> episodes later. Um, no. So just for the listeners, just a little bit of backstory. Josh, Tim and I have known Josh for like decades. Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. Yes. And any yes. project that we have that's creative, that involves any like level of camera operating, or even any sort of like artwork that is done, whether it's if we do a live show, we need like flyers done. Like we lean on Josh for a lot of stuff, and Josh is the guy who you can call up and say, "Oh, there's this missing woman in New Hampshire that we're sort of obsessed with, and there's this guy who writes a blog about it, and he thinks she's in Canada, and we're shooting a documentary on it now, and we want you to pick up this camera and join us uh, in about two weeks. To no, it wasn't two weeks, but it was a month. It was at least two months." Right, because you had to get no. There. What was it? <laughs> no, I had to rush it. <laughs> like I had to pay your, extra to get it in like passport. two weeks. For reals, though. But you you had a passport already, and this was like no. a, you had lost your passport. I did and, not have a passport. So you would not have a passport. I didn't wow. have a passport. I didn't yeah. know you could do it that quick. You, yeah. Well, yeah, I think it has to be like you can do it in thirty days, but you pay an extra fee. Yeah, we should reimburse you for that. Yeah, <laughs> we should probably pay you for anything really that you've done for us. No, but. I was I was up for the adventure, and like Lance said, uh, we we go way back, and I knew that whatever happened and whatever we were getting ourselves into, at least we would be getting into it together. It wouldn't just be me or Lance or Tim. It would be like, all right, it's gonna be the three of us with this other guy. Having and, gone through it, yeah. do you regret it? No, not at all. Of course not. Okay. Of course not. I actually expected much more confrontation, mm. which I am not like crazy about. You know what I mean? Like, because uh, we we were like, not to get into the story, you know, already or anything, but I mean, there there were a couple of points where um, we could have had confrontations, like the the store, for example, after the uh, uh, after going to the crash site. You know, like uh, oh the the yeah Swift, even though Swift water waste yeah even though I was like I'm gonna stay in the car <laughs> and shoot from the car guys like I, I expected much more um, weird and or, or or like uh, instances where it could have got hairy but it never really did um, there were lots of uh, points of uh, in, intrigue but it, it was just a great adventure and um, and I was a lot you know I was totally all in for it. One thing that didn't make the uh, cut, obviously, because we couldn't take cameras inside of the border station where they mm. pulled the car over, obviously, we're going to get searched. Um, that's a funny story. It is. Why don't you... Can I? Would you please? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we get, get to the Canadian border. After rehearsing what we're going to tell them. That's right. Sort of. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least coming up with a, a story. Right. We couldn't just simply say what <laughs> right. we were actually doing. Because yeah. obviously we had a... Um, there was four guys, you know, in their 30s. And in, in a big white van. With a car full of camera equipment and sound equipment and a stack like five inches high of Morris face on a missing poster. And, you know, uh, James had his bins of all of his research and everything like that. So, you know, we're we're sitting in the in the in the border, whatever lobby holding like, tank. It's pretty obvious. Yeah, biting talking. our nails. And the, actually, now that you, you describe zoom out, it, yeah, if you <laughs> zoom out and take that that view, it is obvious. You ha we had camera equipment, audio equipment and a 500 bunch, missing five hundred missing flyers. Like, yeah. And they came really to us. Shouldn't have questioned that. And he, and they're like, I think the one of the first things they said is like, who who is this girl to you? Who is Mara Mara to you? Yeah. And I think James was like, oh, that's a I'm a writer, and that's the thing I'm working on. But our official story was that we were going to a church. Yes, yeah, St. Joseph's Oratory in uh, Montreal. 
which actually people go on pilgrimages to right. uh, because it supposedly has some uh, healing powers. Uh, there's there's a bunch of steps and uh, some people it was like you know over a hundred steps I think and people pray on each step and there's legend of like by the time you get to the top if you do that you're healed mm-hmm. or whatever and there's like even a even a part of the church there where like people go there with crutches and by the time they get to the top of the wow. church the uh, the stairs like they they're healed yeah their yeah. their crutches are hung up on the wall in in one of this uh, wow yeah so it is a pretty interesting uh place so i, I only knew that was the only excuse I could think of. I figured they would leave us alone if we just said we're on a pilgrimage. It's common enough. We should right. have actually gone there after hearing you describe <laughs> it. It sounds it's really like cool. a great place. Yeah, yeah. Well, they did let us go. <laughs> I mean, like they didn't be like, ah, you guys are weird. I think they thought about <laughs> it though. Right. <laughs> they thought about sending us back. But I have a feeling now after hearing you describe it and then describe the situation, like you know, four guys in their thirties white van and all of the equipment and everything. They probably hear that story all the time. They probably have people coming through the border. It's possible, you know, that are going yeah. up there like underage or whatever. To you know, you know, maybe they have like a bunch of weed in their car or something, and they're like, <laughs> it's probably a red flag when they hear people say, "Oh, they're going. Oh, okay, those guys are going to that church. All right, pull the car over. They're not going to that church." <laughs> you don't want to be wrapped up in customs, border right, patrol, right. Exactly. That whole situation. And we exactly. had limited time. I mean, it wasn't like we had a week here. Right. We were going to look that night as well. What did they uh, take from us? I believe the only thing they took from us, right? Was the staple gun. Yeah. <laughs> Which explains why in the first, That's uh, the right. first the first scene that shows Renner putting up the flyers at, in Canada, not in New Hampshire, he staples the flyer to the tree in yeah. New Hampshire, and then... The first, the first uh, footage of him with the flyers in Canada, he's just got a little like roll of tape. Yeah, not even like packing tape, but mm. like scotch tape. Right. <laughs> yeah, buys packing tape later in the trip. They should reimburse us. Well, we have this whole new trade embargo thing or whatever. <laughs> tariffs. Yeah. yeah. So we, we got him back. Very timely. Mm. We got him back. <laughs> but but for me, it was uh, it was definitely uh, an enlightening experience because I uh, became of course, wrapped up in the case with with you guys and especially, you know, of course, with Renner. I really didn't know a lot about him uh, when I met him. And um, he struck me as a super, you know, really intelligent, well-spoken, like uh, witty, dry, dry humor guy. And um, I've since read... uh, his 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 books. Well, you were I, a big fan of uh, I loved, from Primrose Lane. I loved it. I read his book in like a day and a half, and I never do that. You know what I mean? It just I couldn't put it down. And so I thought it was I thought it was amazing. You know, of course that was fiction, and you know it was a very sci fi slant on it, and I I loved it. On our way to New Hampshire, uh, just hearing his uh, theories and insights and stuff like that, it was it was easy to get wrapped up in it. Um, and once we hit the the crash site, or not hit the crash site, but once we arrived at the crash site and looked around, and it was uh, it's pretty overwhelming because you you kind of like now you knee deep in it or hip deep in it. You know? Yeah, he's got a really um, hypnotic way about him, and we talk mm. about this. And I mean, I don't think I'm doing, I don't think I'm insulting him at all by saying this. There is a Renner fog that we talk about where. You can say it to yourself and you can have all of your facts lined up for the conclusion of, you know, if you want to know what happened to Mora, you can put all these things together in your head and you can it can make sense. And then you spend a half hour with James Renner and he can tell you his thing. And all of a sudden, you find yourself nodding and saying, "Like, okay, mm. yeah, that kind of makes sense." And then, and even though the other part of your brain is going, "Like, this isn't what you wanted. This isn't what you want." That part of the brain starts like falling into the Renner fog, mm. <laughs> and then you're just you walk out, and it's like this thing that still stays with you for a few hours after, and and after a while, you come back to, and you're like, "I just got fogged by Renner." <laughs> <laughs> So what you just described was the Renner fog. Right. Continue. Sorry. Right. It was just interesting to feel like, uh, you know, you're on the hunt, you know, and and it it, it was very interesting to feel like um, we were with someone that had sort of inside information or something. And and again, I didn't, I wasn't as wrapped up in all the intricacies of, of this case. So um kind of just jumping into the van and going and, and, and hearing about everything on the way. And, and 
and um, shoot, shooting everything, you become very enveloped by it all. I was kind of expecting to find her when we went because I was so convinced in a way. No way. For real. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, there was definitely a part of me that was expecting to find her, even though, as uh, Tim says in, in cutting like the, the documentary, that I was sort of this voice of reason where I'd be like, you know, uh, well, we're never going to find like one person in this city or, you know, a needle in a haystack or whatever. But there is definitely a, a, a super optimistic side of me um, where I I was I was believing I was believing that somehow we we were the ones that were going to stumble upon certain things. Yeah, and I think by the time Sunday rolled around, and we, so we were there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mm-hmm. By the time Sunday rolled around, we were all like, uh, you know, we're we're not going to find anything. A little disenfranchised by that, yeah, or, it, or whatever you want to say. Right, yeah. right. And e- even though I think we were all kind of hopeful at mm-hmm. one point, um, and we actually have some uh, a clip here that we can play from that Sunday. You feeling good about finding her tonight? I'm um, feeling good about getting some some different some uh, some leads. I don't think we're gonna find her. It's fine. It's already been a uh, it's already been a pretty um, remarkable journey. Unsuccessful though, no? Yeah, to find success. Yeah, I think. We're well, we set out to find someone, and we haven't done it. Well, we've set out to make a documentary. Okay. He set out to find somebody. You think we're going to find her? Find some good leads? Um, no, I don't. Um, I don't think we'll find her today. Uh, it, I don't know. It makes you second-guess the leads that we had here in Sherbrooke. You know, see what to that gym today. Yeah. And so that just kind of goes to show, like, we, we were thinking about it. We, mm-hmm. we were, you know, obviously hopeful. We were still going to... We were about to go back to a place that we had gotten a yes, she does look familiar, right? Um, and so that, but that was on Saturday, mm-hmm. and so then we were really hopeful after that, and then it just just kind of wore you down as right. the weekend went on. It was a perfect setup to, um, like the this unintentional story arc of uh, the Canada trip, that the place that we got that the best feedback, the best lead was at this gym, and it wasn't just, oh, she looks familiar. It was she was in here two weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. But it wasn't It yeah. wasn't like, I'm not sure, right? You see the woman say that, and it wasn't. It didn't look like there was much of a question in her mind. This is a woman that comes to this gym, and she was here very recently. And it was how far from our hotel? Yeah, it was, it was like next no more, door. Like 100 it, yards. It was yeah. the next parking lot. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's just such a perfect story arc, unintentional, for this whole trip that the first place that we go to, and I think we made a joke that wasn't actually on, it wasn't captured, that, like, could you imagine if she was literally in the next parking lot over from right. where we decided to stay when we came up here to look for her? Right. Um, was it, like, serendipity or whatever you want to say? Fate? Yeah. Yeah. I can see from your point of view, and this is the first time that you've actually said that, you know, there's yeah. a side of you that, I don't want to use, I think it's an overused term, but cautiously optimistic, because it, it was, like, cautiously isn't the right word to use mm-hmm. right there but you for lack of a better word we were all cautiously optimistic mm-hmm. and then the first thing that comes out is this and it's like shit if it's not here then i i mean hearing you for the first time say that you were cautiously optimistic about finding her when when tim and i have been watching all the footage it's like well goddamn josh is like the rock in this whole thing josh <laughs> is like not not dwayne johnson <laughs> Josh, if only, if only he, he looks do. just like him. Though. He do, yeah, oh, yeah. He's got the tattoos too. <laughs> but no, it, looking at you being like, if there's ever a way to categorize each one of these characters, Josh is the viewer. Josh is mm-hmm. the person who just learned about the case, who comes up to Canada, fires up the camera, and the first place we go is the the best lead ever. Right. I can I didn't even think about it until now that you that at that point you were probably thinking, oh, this is real. Right. This girl could be here. Right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Going into it, I didn't know what to expect. I really, because there was not really like a huge game plan, or at least I wasn't privy to it, or or didn't, you know. No, there was no game plan. Right. Right. I mean, I, I, I think I got like, we're going to go to blah, blah, blah and can't, you know, and, and blah, blah, blah. Well, and, and to that... be honest, like th- there wasn't a lot you could have learned before this trip. Right. Um, outside of reading uh, James Renner's blog. Or mm. Wikipedia. Well, but really there isn't much. There isn't mm. much There wasn't. That. We're talking 2013. Yeah. So there was only James's blog. There was like a handful of articles and there was Wikipedia, which is user updated. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to take with a grain of salt anyway. Um, so you, like, I didn't know anything about the case. I didn't know anything about the case. Really? You no, didn't? No. Going nothing. into it? No. I, I perused, uh, James's blog a bit, but I didn't really have any opinion. I was just like, oh, this, you know, this guy has, like you said, inside information on this. And I, that was kind of where, where I was coming from too. Right. And I, I mean, my perspective was, I just want to make a documentary. Like it was just a, an interesting story. Mm. Stuff. You totally saw all this happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's the last thing that anyone expected. Seriously, right? <laughs> yeah, we had no idea we'd be doing. Uh, we'd be sitting here. Yeah, four years later, James was the only person at the time that had, and he still is one of the only people that has information that most people don't have, other than law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. He d- he did dig quite a bit. Um, yeah, he foiled a lot of stuff. Yeah, and he did. No one else was doing that at the time. Yeah. But now, like, if you were to to if we were to embark on this journey now, like, uh, right now, there's been an, you know you guys so much and out an there oxygen show, yeah. and of course, like, I'm sure there's a a whole you know mountain of information out there now. Well, I don't know, but more because of what you guys are doing and what the you know the, the oxygen, oxygen show did, yeah, too, yeah. brought to the masses. Well, it also maybe opened up the eyes of law enforcement again. So to do this again today, to go up to Canada, if someone were to come up to us and say, I think she's in Canada because of what we know with, you know, the new things that law enforcement knows and all of the new information, it just would be such a, uh, it, it wouldn't even be a consideration. Well, well, actually on that, on that point, remember when Texas crew was like, uh, oh, we're you know we're we're going to Canada. We're we're thinking of going to Canada. Do you have like some of those contact people, or can you send us that footage of those people in the record store? And we were downright pissed off that they were wasting time and money to go to Canada for this again hmm. because we we figured we had already done it, and we were like, well, there's and there's no way she's there, like just just no way. We saw that instantly as a waste of time. Oh, and a waste we were, of money. We were f- honestly yep. furious. Yep. Like uh, I I know we don't talk uh, negatively about the oxygen show, and I don't think we should. There's hardly anything negative to say about it i think um i know you can be nitpicky or whatnot but keep in mind this is something that exists now that didn't exist before like uh, there's no argument that the case is in a better place now after this show true regardless of any uh nitpicking you want to do about it you know why because when people talk about the show they say the oxygen show about maura murray yeah just saying that alone is is worth it. But they did go back to Canada in the Oxygen documentary, but I think they only spent a day or two. I think they quickly realized that we were right. Not to pat ourselves on the back, but I think they realized this is just not... Like, even the footage just wouldn't be worth it for them. As, as Josh states in the docu- in our documentary, is this is a needle in a haystack. I don't know what... what uh, I, think, I think your quote is like, I don't know what he expects to find here. Mm-hmm. This is like a needle in a haystack. And so they ended up talking to the two people from the record store, which further infuriated us, to be honest, because we, we have that footage and we, I mean, we just watched it. And the the people, they, they look at the missing poster and they're like, they're like listening to Renner. And they're like, no, no, it shouldn't look familiar. And they pass it around. And then they're just start, he asks about where would an American be if uh, an American came up here to blend in. And so they start telling, start talking about a neighborhood and that kind of thing. And then they emailed him like two weeks later and being like, actually, you know what? There was this woman in this, uh, in this track suit, I think. And she was on a bike and maybe, and it's like, First of all, you you have this missing poster hanging on your on your wall. You walk by it. You probably look at it ten times a day. As we know from going through this experience, we were seeing her everywhere. I'm not kidding. We like uh, we, I can't wait for you guys to see what we're talking about because 
we were circling a stranger in in a parking lot because we thought, wow, she kind of looked like Mora. Let's we literally drove around her right. two or three times in the parking lot. Yeah, and it shows you how that image gets like burned into your into your brain. Um, when we were watching this again, and you added the extra the additional footage of us um, looking at going to the gym and. Uh, in this parking lot and I don't want to give it away but even even us talking about this scene doesn't give it away you really need to oh, watch yeah. this oh, no, scene. we could talk all about it yeah. yeah um I watched it and I realized something very cool about it mostly because like the timing that it is in the in the cut and the arc that it takes us or takes the audience you see us go on this arc but Josh really really verbalized it much better I just saw it and I said wow this there's something special about this, but what what was it when you saw that scene? What did you think? Because obviously, what we're doing is nuts, okay. But at the time, we were so focused on the you know our hunt or the mission that we wanted to see what you know we wanted to see her, and we were just our senses were all heightened, and we were just seeing her everywhere, like like you said, Tim. So yeah, it was just a matter of of us seeing what we wanted to see and and being so in tuned to just kind of our mind was playing tricks on us in a way. We justify it to ourselves like, oh, you know, we're we're investigators. We're we're trying to, you know, bust this case open. But it's also like, well, what you're doing is nuts too. <laughs> and we're kind of we're even describing what we're doing as being nuts and we're very self-aware that yeah. what we're doing is very strange. Yeah, I think you even said like this is the strangest thing I've ever done. Sure. I mean, is, it, <laughs> yeah. is it even legal? <laughs> it well, borders on legal. Right. It borders on like when does stalking harassment? become stalking? Right. You know, you don't know. Like when someone complains, that's when it's stalking. Knowing that now and knowing all of the things that you know about the case, looking back on it, are you surprised at how that bug got put in our heads when we were going? We went to the gym. We had already we had gone through all of these like towns and given out flyers. Knowing now what you know, are you surprised that we saw her everywhere? And are you surprised that there are still sightings of her? No, I'm not surprised at all. Like really, um, and not just us, but the newcomers to the case yes. and, and people who are just starting to read James's blog and exactly because what blog? Uh, his blog's down his book. Down. Yeah. Yeah. His book. Yeah. Okay. But uh, obsession is obsession. And you, you know, your, your mind is a, is a crazy thing that can do all kinds of things and make you see all kinds of things. And I mm. think, I think we were very focused on finding her and we all really wanted to find her. It's just so weird how um, you get wrapped up in the obsession very quickly about it. Um, and I, I don't know if I'm coming across the way I want to, but uh, but yeah, like we were just in the thick of it, and it, fe- it felt like we were we were doing this like uh, I don't know, like this operation or like this uh, you know this clandestine thing in a way, or or at least. Uh, a good thing, you know, like an investigation. Like it, that's what I felt like I was a part of, mm. you know, I know we were making a documentary and I was, I was a, a cameraman as you know, as well as, you know, being with my friends on an adventure, you know, I, I think I was seeing her too. Obsession though, you know, is such uh, a, it's such a personal experience mm. to each individual. It's di- it, your obsession is different than mine is different than yours. Yours is different than James's. James's is different than John Smith's. Um, but yet we are all there. Um, the best thing I think you can do is try to stay self-aware. Um, but ultimately it kind of has a negative connotation because to call someone obsessed, you can't be self-aware enough to know how that obsession is coming out of you you can know that you're obsessed but i feel like well i'm focused on this i'm like for example right now let's just use the a-frame and the concrete slab as a as an example like i'm i'm sitting here i'm i think something's going to be in that slab i'm i'm convinced of it that's probably my obsession talking possibly but as you were talking i started to think about how detectives would approach solving any case any unsolved case so i mean they don't they they have to get caught up in a level of obsession 
when they're trying to solve a case and they find clues and they go for the clues and then they dismiss them. So, but you're, you're speaking about how a detective does work. What experience do you have as being an actual detective or knowing an actual detective? Like, I feel like that is your obsession speaking because we actually aren't detectives. Well, we we play that on a podcast. That's very true. But we have on this on this podcast and we've had on uh, Crawl Space law enforcement and criminologists. And we had a police officer who said that a case is sort of like a house and you need to go through and don't think about like. You, you need to open the doors of the of this mansion and you need to see what's inside but you need to make sure you shut the doors of the mansion when you're when you've eliminated these things and just so looking at that like law enforcement perspective plus the Mora Murray community and us and how the behavior patterns go i mean people are people humans are humans if you are a detective looking into a case and you need to go into a room and analyze everything in that room before you can shut that door you need to be somewhat OCD about it. Yeah, and using that example to the Mora Murray case, I, I do love that example. But using that example, it's like, okay, we, we close the door because we're sure. And then the next person comes along and boots it wide open. Yes, right. That's the problem. Not the problem. That is the very unique thing with this case yeah. is that we keep saying like ad nauseum, you have to once if you've eliminated it, that is no longer a relevant fact of this case or a relevant element of this case. But law enforcement has the luxury of their information not being out there to the public. We don't have that luxury. We have people just starting to and it's great. And I'm not saying this in any sort of a bad way. People need to start listening to the podcast and reading True Crime Addict and just ingesting everything they can can ingest on the case but those newcomers those those people will just their brain will start clicking and firing on all of these new on all of these things that we thought we closed the door on mm-hmm. so you're right yeah they're going to they're going to either kick the door in or they're going to at least open the door and go like hey what about this yeah i mean a, f- a few times a week we get emails uh from from really thoughtful listeners who say Hey, you guys, I'm on episode eight, but have you considered this? And I love the email. Don't get me wrong. Please do not want to discourage anyone from sending emails. But uh, it's exhausting going through that process again and being like, I just want to email, like have a reply, like a canned reply being like, just keep listening. <laughs> right. And they, yeah, exactly. You, you, you keep listening. If you put it in your head that the rag in the tailpipe was there for this reason, and you say, well, that's it. And you don't move forward, then you're you're not going to understand our trip to Canada and where we're at now and what this one moment in history did. This one single car accident did to thousands of people. It, the this butterfly effect that exactly. Happened. I was just going to say that it's a lot like uh, like John Ronson's uh, shout out to our buddy yeah, John Ronson. Shout out to John Ronson. Um, but it is it's a real person disappearing, and it's a lot of information from the police that they well I, I don't think they have that much obviously because they would have probably made an arrest if they did. It'd be over right right yeah, right. Yeah. So ultimately they don't have the missing link um, at this point. Uh, to solve the case, the disappearance is so mysterious that you don't have much info from the from the police, which I think breeds that police conspiracy theory. And and I think when anytime that there's not a lot of information from police, people always look at police. And well, I mean, look, I mean, but look at society today. You, you have these instances where police uh, are are doing bad things, like they they shoot people when they're not supposed to, and I'm not. God, God knows I'm not saying this about all cops. Most cops are saints. They, they do the, the Lord's work. But, you know, there are these instances that, that come up like once a month. There's like, okay, that, that cop was in the wrong. Some of these you can see both sides on, but a lot of them you just, okay, that, that guy needs to be fired. He right. should not have that job. So what you're saying is it just, it just, it, it, that is one of those things that just like sticks in, it's a thorn in your brain and you've got it in your head and you look at this case and you say, well, and you don't even know it, right? It's a subconscious right. thing. 
Right. Well, th- that you may have like the twinge of well, I don't trust the police in in your own brain, and if you do, and then you you look at this case and you see that inform well, well, why haven't why haven't they put out that information? Why would the liquor store receipt be redacted? Well, there's only one explanation because they're covering shit up, you know. And then on on the other side of that is the perception that the Murrays weren't speaking a lot. Right. Which isn't the case anymore, which, you know, you know, I think we're all really grateful for. But when four years ago, when the, when this adventure started for us, that was the reality that we, you know, we jumped into this whole situation, never expecting to hear from the Marys, honestly. I mean, which is crazy to say now. I but know we've said that before where you think back on it and it's like bonkers. We didn't even think to contact them. Right. And because we thought that they didn't care because honestly, the, you know, we, we were told that from from Renner, a guy who has looked into this case and has a blog and has had more information than any civilian in the case. And that's the information that we had going into it. Right. So what are you going to operate off of? A, a, a wealth of information or your your gut instinct on something that you really have no experience with. Right. So you have a mysterious disappearance uh, with seemingly no answers, and then you have the police not letting out all their information, obviously, um, because they're investigating a, a, a criminal case or investigating it like it's a criminal case. And then you have uh, a family that is, has been put through the ringer by, by the press and by the police. I mean, Mr. Murray sued the state of New Hampshire to try to get information. And like, that seems like, well, what, why would, I mean, obviously the, the dad of a missing person wouldn't sue the police if he was hiding something. But then, you know, you, you hear, you hear someone put out there like, oh, well he, you know, he, he did it because he wants, he wants the information. He doesn't want other people to have it. And it's like, oh, but in reality, like now looking back, it's all like, like we're having this conversation now because it's, it's kind of like these points are obvious now. But you got to go through the journey in order to get here. It's it's a whole it's a whole journey, unfortunately, yeah. and, and I, it is unfortunate for the Murrays because they, they they are totally innocent victims in this. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they didn't ask for a uh, a process for for their sister or daughter's uh, disappearance. Obviously, they they don't want that at all, you know a disappearance of a family member at all. But but I'm sure it's it's. Uh, quite frustrating to hear that that the public has to go through their own process before each individual person makes up their mind on what they think happened to their sister or daughter. Right, like that. That is one of the most bizarre things in this whole thing. Is that it, well, it's going to happen anyway. People yeah. are going to look into it. Right. So you, you're going to have to say, I mean, they're. Have to accept that there, there there's going to be a process with it. Well, there's no control. I mean, the, right the, from an outsider's point of view, it's really easy to say that. Yeah, like me just saying that, like easy. But Julie Murray thinking, I don't really care about right. this person's process. Keep it to yourself. Right. We're right. trying. We're trying to find out what happened to my sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, and the whole documentary, like, oh, it's it's about people who become obsessed with your sister or your daughter's. Uh, disappearance that's really mysterious you know and like that's also really kind of awkward but ultimately i think it's a good thing because we're raising awareness we're we're trying to spin this obsession into something good for the case oh look josh is here sorry josh (laughs) this has felt like old school riffing on on (laughs) missing more murray no i didn't want to interrupt you guys (laughs) but i was just like you know enthralled but this is this is what happens with it you start talking about it and then it becomes something more than just laying out facts it becomes something like a whole psychological thing yeah every it is everything you just said yeah on obsession in general what occurs to me as an outsider there's no easy answers i guess is what it all boils down to and that's what like really is um what drives people crazy and what like pulls them in is like there's no real easy answers like there's no easy explanation and obviously it's a mystery and that's and that's what all entices us all really we did interviews which aren't going to be um you know, a part of the documentary right now, but it will be eventually. The version that the public sees on on video on demand on VOD, uh, probably later this summer. Right, they w- there will be some of the interviews, exactly, but, but not for this cut. Yeah, exactly. So it will be a part of it, and I and I remember. Uh, so we did uh, interviews in the hotel room, and um, and and then Renner was uh, interviewing us, 
um, as members of the crew. And, you know, you know, we interviewed him as well, but he, he asked, what are you getting out of this, Josh? Like, what, what is this, what is this for you? And I'm like, well, as you know, I just, I want to find her for her family, you know, and that, that was my, that was my basic answer. And, um, and he, I think he, he insinuated like, well, what if she doesn't want to be found? And I just said, well, I really don't know. I don't, I don't have a, a good answer. Yes, I was, I was on the search for this woman, who, so she could be found for her family. And that, that was my, that was my basic bit base for it all. But it was weird. Yeah, he was just like, well, what if she doesn't want to be found? And I'm like, well, I guess she, she would have reasons for that. Um, and in which case, that that it's, it's a complicated, a complicated scenario. And it makes me feel bad hearing you say that because you you said um, that that mystery entices us all. And I don't know if people really get the reality of what solving a mystery like this will do. And when Renner asked you that question and you were actually faced with that question and then he countered with what if she doesn't want to be found? And then you realize in your answer, there's no answer that's not going to be. 100% selfish and you have to deal with the fact that this whole selfish thing selfish for is, me or yeah, selfish for her selfish for you right because you don't know why she wouldn't want to be found right you just know that you need to fulfill this obsession you need to scratch this itch that just won't go away and if you do that and she's found and you've just blown her cover for some reason that is selfish. That was another thing that yes, that we were dealing with. I mean, I think it, it we it brought it up in, in 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 quiet conversation just between the three of us, where it's like, what if we do find her, but she's like, what the hell? Like, I I have a life. Like, I ran away for a reason, and we were just the assholes that blew up her spot. And it's like, how do we deal with that? Like. You know, we're like, oh, we're well, we're making a movie. It's like going up a, a roller coaster that is a super steep ascent, and then you think when you're about to drop off and get that big thrill, you don't. It's just flat, and it slowly goes down. It's like this anticlimactic for moment us. that would have been for us mm. when we suddenly realize we shouldn't have even found her in the first place. Like whatever personal stake Renner has in this, I know that. Like he he was definitely trying to solve a mystery, and I know it's like ingrained in him. Like it's in his it's like in his DNA. Like he needs to solve a mystery. In fact, there's a part. It's when uh, Renner is reading the um, the letter for Mara. Uh, wrote oh, the to, email. Well, it was the email. Yes, to uh, the campground. Jigger Johnson. Yes, campground. yes, which was very powerful. Just you know, hearing about it. But afterwards, I asked him the same question, and he and he said that any mystery can be solved. What do you think about that answer? Do you think that that answer was shallow? It's not a black and white thing. I think he I think he honestly cares. I honest I think he cares very much about her well-being and everything like that. But yes, maybe it's like 60/40 solving the mystery. Well, I mean, that's nothing that he hasn't said himself. Right. Exactly. It is his yes. way well. And and we talked about that, but he was saying like how she went to Melville Hall. And UMass, even bringing up like these kind of out there concepts where, um, you know, time being cyclical and how like the reason we're looking for her or the reason that she's missing is because we're looking for her. And vice versa. Right. Even says like, you know, if you want to believe that weird stuff, but, you know, the universe, he goes, I I believe that the universe is uh, way more out there than we can comprehend. Which I also kind of subscribe to. Road trip conversations exactly. t- tend to get deep, no matter especially what. When you're, especially when you're fish bowling the Renner fog. It didn't. It didn't strike me as I was like, "This guy's crazy." <laughs> no, but did he seem obsessed? <laughs> of course, time? yes. And I think he will be the first one to to admit that he's obsessed. And I think his obsession uh, drove drove him. And it, what was funny too drove is us all. I think I asked him like, "So, like, you were going to do this on your own, right?" And I think it's in the documentary, actually. He goes, yeah, I was, I was gonna actually going to do this by myself, like listening to, you know, old Twilight Zone episodes, like, you know, in the car. But I'm glad that, like, we're all together doing this. Yeah. And I can only imagine, like, you know, what his story would have been if he had done it all himself. You know, uh, maybe it would have been stranger or, you know, or nothing. He had driven up there and, and done 
searches on his own a couple of times, I believe, before he went with us, but not to Canada, just to the just to the crash site. Right. I don't know how it all would have gone down in Canada. I don't know. Right. I think he needed us. I I think so. I think so. I I, I can't personally imagine doing that that uh, journey solo. I also like how it came together so quickly. Um, just thinking back to like November of 2013 when you, Lance, were like, hey, you want to do a documentary on this? And I was quickly like, yeah, yeah, that sounds really interesting. And then you're like, oh, well, let me ask Renner if he's interested in uh, in doing something. And he was like, yeah, we need to go to Canada. Yeah, see, and November. We were, yeah, no, it And we was. went in December. Yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah. right? So it, came it wasn't together no real two quick. months or three months. That might be part of the obsession too, like mm. that. That it just like it's like oh my god, it gets gets wrapped up so quickly, like just like a tornado, like a tornado of energy. It's like oh, we gotta go now, right? When uh, like really there was no rush. There was obviously, there was no, no yeah, there was no urgency, right? But when that when that uh, that communication came through, that email came through with Renner saying, you know, what are you guys doing on this day? It was just like this has to happen because he, he thought yeah. that she was going to run. Hmm. Yeah, but th- but he thought she was going to run based on him posting his on his blog, right? That we were going to Canada, right? So that's kind of a meta thing. Like we totally could have waited a few more months or <laughs> until the spring or never. <laughs> yeah, because it was cold. In a way, I'm kind of jealous that you aren't still involved with as deeply in the case because you were during that time i was and in a way i'm I'm very jealous of kind of like what you guys are doing because um i i can see myself as uh as a person jumping into the deep end which i did for you know three days i suppose what did you think of the oxygen documentary it seemed to cover all the bases i i i, I think it it definitely um went down every path that um, seemed viable. It, it lacks the human experience that I think we experience. You know that that we were part of. You know our our documentary. I think is is very much like a, a another beast altogether. They more or less concluded that she she was grabbed by some like opportunistic bad person, right? Even though it was still a window of like what a couple minutes. Or at More least, or at least that she was uh, murdered. It w- was their conclusion. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 That's what they believed. So I mean, it's it's still even even after that very thorough, very uh, decently funded, you know, public uh, media investigation. There's still there's still questions about it, man. You know, dudes. It's it's like it's still a thing. What like, do you think, dude? What do I think, yeah. dude? I don't know because uh, I, I don't think I can speak that uh, as intelligently about it. I really don't know. You're on the hot seat. What are you talking about? Give us an answer. We don't bring just anybody onto the hot seat. Yeah. Okay. This hot this seat is pretty pretty hot. No. Um. I don't know. I unfortunately I do think she's probably you know she's probably dead. You know, but I don't know how that transpired. I don't know if she got grabbed within like the three minutes or whatever. Well, here's something that. We continue to learn, but you guys about don't make ourselves. you don't, guys don't make theories and stuff, right? Well, no, we don't. But we, it's a good point. We we try not to we try but our best. Not yeah, to. right. Be what we do people. is is at least ingest and and mm. and process information that our listeners and the people who watch the show and the people who follow the case will send to us. And we had one of our listeners point out a very simple fact recently. We keep talking about this like three minutes and I was huge on that. I was huge on this. Like there's only a matter of like a couple minutes. We got to narrow down the minutes. And someone sent a suggestion saying, well, what if she just like hid behind a tree? What if she hid behind something? What if she hid underneath the, stairs on the weathered barn because there's a ramp what if she tucked in there they didn't specifically say that mm. but they basically said i know there was no tracks in the woods right but you could go down old peter's road and walk within the tire tracks from another vehicle mm. and you can simply just watch and wait for the scene to die down i mean there's a lot of scenarios that True. could put her being abducted maybe two hours later but to counter that it's also like a very quick assessment of like what she's gonna do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, as far as, like, a person who just, like, crashed into a snowbank, even though it wasn't a bad crash, because we saw the car. Yes, we did. We went and saw the car, and it wasn't, like, that bad. But anyway, that's 
even those few minutes and uh, not to hang on that but that's a very you know you're saying that's a very quick assessment on her part to yeah. get into the accident butch drives away and she's like i'm just gonna go chill out first. she went I'm in like go. mission mode like okay i'm going to hide for right now before the cops come yeah and do all this but i mean it's very interesting and that just goes to show that there are so many like avenues and like little parts that uh, people can like dive into. I guess the example itself doesn't doesn't right. matter much, right? It's, but it just goes to show. Just goes to show how long can you work on this before someone just hears something, it clicks in their head, yeah. and they go, "You guys never really talk about this." Right? You hear like, "Oh, the police searched around the weather barn," so you just write it off. Yeah, so yeah. it's gone. You know, but it is true. She could have. Um, you know, jogged up old Peter's road and, and hung out for a little bit and waited till the scene died down. But I also agree. I think your your point, Josh, is, is very valid. I think Maura also probably hit her head on the windshield. Uh, I don't think she was probably thinking that, uh, like, straight at that moment. Obviously, I have no idea. Well, it's, it's, it's all very interesting and, and still, no matter what, very relevant until there's answers and that's why you guys keep doing what you do even even after the the oxygen show and um our documentary is certainly going to be an awesome part of the story not that we're trying to put ourselves into the narrative which which it seems like that's a thing that people try to do that is a thing it is a thing at least for me personally it came from a good place a decent place where um i wanted to be part of something good and uh, on, on an adventure with my friends. That's that's where I was coming from. And I felt that we could do it because I felt like we had some inside information or or whatever you want to say. So, But it was, uh, it was an interesting time. Very interesting. 